Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Photographic Life and the continuation of the conversation between myself and Bill Shapiro. So who is Bill? Well, Bill's a writer, editor and curator of photography based out in New Mexico. And I'm Grant Scott, a photographer, lecturer, writer, filmmaker and podcaster. I think it'd be fair to say that both Bill and I have got extensive uh, experience of the photographic uh, environment over a number of decades. The first part of Bill and I's conversation certainly got you talking, uh, talking amongst yourselves and also talking to us, sending us emails and messages. So before we dive back in to that conversation, I thought I'd just share some of the messages uh, that we received. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm going to leave you to think about whether you agree or disagree with some of the points raised. David Pritchard emailed us and said, after listening to your interesting conversation on AI, I wish to put out that a bread and butter income for many photographers has long since disappeared. Catalogue photography. The IKEA catalogue, by way of example, has some 80% of its images coming from graphic designers. Many of the gardening catalogues my wife receives seem to feature an owner or employee that received a digital camera for Christmas. If John Blakemore ingrained any one thing in my brain, it was. The camera is the least important part of photography. Uh, Another email came in from Bob Humphreys, and uh, Bob said this, Hi Grant, great discussion on AI with Bill. I'm an amateur wildlife photographer and have judged photographic club competitions in the northeast of Scotland for the last 15 years. Over recent times, there has been a lot of debate about the inclusion of composite images in general competitions. Our current status is they are included with the proviso that all the images should uh, used should be taken by the photographer. With AI, this definition could get blurred. I haven't seen any guidance from FIAP, PSA, etc. yet, but will club entrants be routinely required to submit raw images to justify the final image. Currently, you can be requested to supply raw files in salons, but only if there are questions to be answered. I appreciate that the implications of AI will have a major impact in the commercial world, but the shockwaves will extend throughout photography. I think we need to manage the situation, otherwise many amateur photographers could be put off. This would be a shame since the positives of photography extend well beyond the taking of the image. Uh, Kenton Simmons uh, got in touch to say, uh, just listen to it. A great episode, Grant. Always enjoy your chats with Bill. I guess there will always be a demand for photographers to capture real life. I hope so. And Doug, who featured in the uh, first episode there, um, we spoke about Doug and his uh, kind of response to Bill's inquiries. Um, Doug said this, wow, what a great conversation, Bill, and how cool to get a lovely shout out. Please thank Grant for, uh, for me for his kind words. Well, thanks, Doug. I look forward to part two, which is going to come to you at any moment now um, of that. But it did get me thinking more about this. Uh, My suggestion to future humans is to treat AI 
As with any newly discovered tribe of humans or even aliens, with respect and patience while we learn about each other, because with a positive approach, we may be able to find a way to collaborate with AI to our advantage. If AI gains sentience, it likely will need the same things humans need, a sense of purpose. Maybe their purpose can be helping us overcome our shortcomings, stop poverty, war, racism, climate change, and be our best selves. Ha, says uh, Doug. Well, that's a much more positive response there from Doug, uh, having heard uh, our conversation. So that's good news. Anyway, let's dive straight back in, shall we? And Bill's going to set us off by uh, explaining exactly where he feels he stands at present. The fact that this worm is now going to be in our brain is going to make us question everything. So we can talk about sports photography. Uh, maybe that's the same category as news photography. Um, what else? We talked about landscape uh, portraiture. But hang on. But why would sports photography be in the same category as news photography? Because if I see a photograph of uh uh, a particular player missing a penalty or uh, in, you know, in baseball getting struck out or whatever. All I need to do is see the film of that. And I would know it wasn't true. Well, how are you going to see the film of that? Well, because they're all available on. Yeah, but let's, but, 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 but let's, let's think about it in a real case scenario. Uh, you're on Twitter or somewhere um, and Instagram, something crosses your desk and it's, the most amazing blocked dunk that you can imagine that supposedly happened in last night's game, but it didn't. And yeah, you can go and spend a few minutes and find the video on YouTube or wherever and see that, Oh, that actually didn't happen, but it's going to be very hard to see that something didn't happen. You may have to watch the whole game to see if something did not happen. And so you know, I, I suggest that that people aren't going to spend time doing that research, just like they don't do any research about anything, Americans anyway, and just press the retweet button. So I suppose what we're talking about here again is, I mean, this, as far as I can see, uh, but tell me if I'm wrong here, but this conversation, in a sense, is everything to do with photography and nothing to do with photography, because it's to do with everything else. It's to do with, do we trust the sources that we get our news from? Do we believe um, that basketball game? Do we feel that our source that we're getting that from? You know what it does comes down to that, doesn't it? Do we trust the sources where we get our information from? And obviously, um, in the US with Fox News and everything else, I can completely understand why that is really at the forefront of, of thinking. In the UK, it may well happen. And people will say that the BBC is already there and we already have certain problems. But I don't think it's as defined as it is in the US at the minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's that's probably true. Which may be why um, the whole sort of feeling of AI photography is such a big issue from an American perspective. But I see a lot of UK photographers literally just going, yeah, enough already. Move on. This is boring. Wow. Uh, I'm so that 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 I find so shocking. I mean, it just seems to me that 
the photographers that I spoke with, the thing that really excites them is capturing a moment, is being there and getting in that sort of flow state where your frame just explodes because you have got all the parts in the right places at the right time and it just sings. And and that's the joy. The joy isn't selling an image to somebody. No, but I think here it's exactly the same. Obviously, all photographers, wherever they live around the world, have the same kind of inclinations and, and inspirations. But the, the the impact of AI, I don't think, is being seen here as being quite as big as it's being seen where you are. Hmm. I may be wrong about that, but I'm just, you know, as always, I'm sort of kind of ear to the ground, throwing stuff out, looking at yeah. the responses I get and and thinking, okay, you know, you're very passionate as, as where you're coming from. And I completely get that. And as a big follower of American news, I, I also, I understand what, where you're coming from. From a perspective of the commissioned working photographer, I don't see that as a complete and utter replacement. I do see it as perhaps less work, but I don't see it as a complete replacement. So I'm not a doomsday guy as far as that is concerned. I think. Um, uh, Yeah. Well, like, like again, I, I don't see it as a complete replacement in actual fact, but I do see it as something that undermines all of our faith in the veracity of an image. And ultimately, if we can't believe an image is true, then it is a catalog image. Um, I, I think where we're saying an image, perhaps we perhaps we should add in the word a news image. Yeah, I'm going to have to think a little bit more about other forms of photography. And- what if we think about a fashion image? Are we looking at the fashion image and saying, is it true or not true? No, we're looking at it and thinking, is it inspirational? Is it aspirational? Uh-huh. We're looking at a food image. Are we thinking, it does that piece of cake exist or not? No, we're looking at it and thinking, do I want to make it? If we're looking at a, a still life image of, of jewelry or a watch or, you know, we're the similar kind of situations. If we're looking at a piece of work that's being created as a piece of kind of contemporary art practice. Wait, wait, we, can, 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 know, can, can, can we go back for a second to, to, to cake? Uh, yeah. My- my third favorite subject. Okay. Um, just so I understand this, if if we're showing a picture, an image of cake in a in a magazine, online, whatever, presumably, like you just said, it's to inspire us to make the recipe and eat that cake. Yeah. In that case, why would that be? So that would be an AI image that is created i'm trying to understand this now um that would be if it's a chocolate chip cake that would be created from images of 10,000 other chocolate chip cakes well no not if you know if if the people are putting a recipe next to it and saying listen if you follow this recipe you get this then right. you're going to get in trouble unless right. it's using stock image but let me give you an example of beauty photography we, 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 I want to really, talk about cakes. I want to yeah, talk about cakes. Okay, talk about beauty. Fine. Well, let me talk about beauty because how many times? And I know you. you I know you spend a lot of time looking through, through the beauty sections of Vogue and Ellen. More so, than you know. Yes. Yeah. So when you look at those photographs, and 
there's little credit box next to it and says, uh, it is this lipstick and these, this eyeshadow and this blusher and this mascara. You know that none of that is true, don't you? I do. Because you've worked on magazines. Right. So you know that the makeup artist goes off, the picture is done, same as in fashion, and then it comes to the magazine, and then the editorial staff are told, right, Chanel are buying an ad, um, Dior are buying an ad, Mac are buying an ad, and uh, Francois Nas is buying an ad, and therefore you need to include that because these are all their new products. So it is already a lie. It doesn't even need the photograph to be a lie. And that photograph is so heavily retouched anyway. We look at photographs of celebrities. We know now that they're incredibly manipulated and retouched. We know they're not true. Now, yes, I take what you're saying. We're parking news to one side. But then if we look at the rest of photography, I would argue that we've been in this kind of non-truth world for quite a long time. And I can remember even back in the 90s uh, doing a, a portrait shoot with the actress Alicia Silverstone and being told to make her look thinner than she well, was. Right. But but let's say you you made the picture of her and she's standing on top of a chair uh, holding a fish. I'm making that up, obviously. Um Yes, you made her look thinner or any photographer made her look thinner on on orders. But that moment actually happened. She was on a chair. She was holding a fish. And 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 now suddenly she's five pounds thinner. So I take I, I really do take your point on, on the on the lies of the of the beauty and, and maybe fashion in magazines or the deceptiveness. But when it comes to people, I, I think we may be. Closer to to the sort of feelings I have about news, Um, even if a celebrity is made to look uh, younger and thinner um, or stronger, they were in the room with the photographer and there was a moment. Sure. So why would that now be created with AI rather than um, being done? Uh, in that way, I, I'm going to give you another example. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I agree. I don't think that. So that's going to continue. Y- yes. Okay. So- I, I don't like the, the if if somebody starts creating celebrity portraits with AI, which could happen. Yeah. For our most photographed celebrities, um, you know th- that that would be a little scary for me. But but I I do believe that that. Uh, original shoots will still happen. Yeah. But, okay, let me give you another example. You know the work of Frank Ockenfels III? I do. So you know that Frank creates his incredible um, diaries, sketchbooks of all of his work, drawings, paintings, Polaroids, analog, digital, what have you. But he's probably the most successful photographer in the world, I I would presume, for photographing Hollywood movie posters. He always photographs against green screen. He puts those original photographs up on his website, and then he puts the poster next to it. And the poster has absolutely nothing to do with the picture that Frank took. They are digital art. They are recreations of something else. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's been obviously going on for 
with Frank and every other Hollywood poster photographer um, for a long time. And, you know, that's the, the, the power of the Hollywood marketing machine is asking for something that is not true. However, documentaries aside, movies aren't true. Exactly. So, so, so he's making, he's making a quote unquote fake image of something that happened in a fake environment. Well, he isn't making a fake image. He's taking the photograph of the actual right. person. Right. Yes. Good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then he's handing it over to the right. digital art departments who are right. the posters. So it would appear to me, okay, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure if we're getting to some kind of conclusion here or not, but it would appear to me that the world of photography, which has many different aspects and outputs and artifacts and, and so forth, um, is or has already absorbed this idea of non-truth truth and has been working with it for a number of years. Yes, I, I, I take that it wasn't creating it from nothing, but it was there. It seems to me that the big area of concern is around the news, the idea of something which, if it's fake, then could be geopolitically dangerous or nationally dangerous. If somebody now creates a picture of the the Capitol building with all the protesters on it, smiling and happy with ice creams in their hand, that then becomes a political tool. Yes. And therefore... Perhaps where we are with AI photography, where I'm trying to find, as I said at the beginning of this, a balance, an an area of meeting in the middle is that that is where we should be most concerned, not about the death of photography overall. Yeah, well, you you, you haven't quite convinced me because because I'm an old man screaming at kids to get off my lawn. Um, you sound like be- Kramer in a, an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, again, I just do think that there's a psychological creep. I think the stakes for movie posters are very, very, very low. Um, I think the stakes for, you know, those beauty credits, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't I don't like people being lied to if, in fact, they, they buy the makeup. And it doesn't look like it does at all on the model's face. I think that's a problem. But, you know, I did speak to two other people. Um, I, I, I spoke with um, a wonderful photographer named Amy Lombard. Um, I've known Amy for years. She's great. Her documentary work for publications like the New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Magazine examines the phenomenons, obsessions and personalities that make up American culture. But also... She shoots for Google, Puma, McDonald's, HBO, among others. And so I asked her, like everybody else, what it's what excites you about the use of AI in photography? She says, I don't see a world in which I incorporate any AI into my actual work. I seem I've seen some folks experimenting with it. And I think it's interesting, but it's just not for me. It's totally possible that in a few years time, I will be eating my words here. But right now, there's very little that excites excites me about AI in relation to photography. I feel more nervous than anything else. But I am excited about two things specifically. For commercial jobs, using AI to help with my writing treatments, 
bios, newsletters, and anything non-visual as a tool is enticing. It's not a replacement for writing or visuals. It's simply a tool. This is what I hope for across the board with AI, whether it's in my industry or not. My second point of excitement is the curiosity over copyright laws and clear stylistic imitation made by AI used in whatever capacity. Look at the way the music industry is being disrupted uh, right now. I don't think the technology is quite there yet with photography, the way it is with audio or writing, but I think we're going to enter a similar gray area realm. And I generally, genuinely don't know what it will mean for claims on creative expression as a whole. There needs to be rules and regulations. Oh, it's so interesting, Bill, that a photographer is happy to kind of use a tool for the thing that they they don't enjoy or perhaps they're not so good at. Whereas I wonder how a writer would feel. Perhaps a writer would be thinking, well, yeah, AI for a photograph, that's really great, but I don't want the chat GPT to be stepping on my turf. Right. And, and what I think is interesting about this, and, and there's some of it in the, in, the, in the next person I spoke with too, but the idea of using AI as a tool um, sort of in presentations or pitches, but not as the real thing. But that's such a dangerous world. I mean, yeah, I've spoken previously about the idea of, you know, within academia and certainly chat GPT is, is being used by children at school um, to write essays and it's being used by students at universities to write assignments and essays. And uh, not only, of course, is the person who's using it cheating themselves by thinking that, yeah, you know, I'm going to get a grade, but that's all you're going to get. You're not really going to understand whether you can do it or not. Um, and I feel the same about a client pitch. If I, I would be able to spot a client pitch produced on chat GPT at the moment I spoke to the person because I'd be expecting them to kind of back up to the same quality as it had been written. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can see that. I can also see, you know, I was recently editing um, a photographer's bio, you know, I, I sort of help photographers uh, consult with them to help make their books. And, and this photographer who is not a writer used chat GPT um, to write a bio that was supposed to be, you know, exactly 225 words. And it was pretty good. I mean, I had to make some changes to it and I had to cut it down considerably. And there were some few things that I don't think this photographer noticed were sort of not grammatical or not quite right, but it was a good start. And so as a tool for a photographer, who's not a, a good writer, um, this, this, this was a, uh, a, a bit of a help. It really was. But that's, you know, that, Kind of, thing. I get that. It's, it's a very factual piece of non-personality-based writing. Yes, so ChatGPT works perfectly for that. But both you and I write books, and you know, I know that I wouldn't be able to write a book with ChatGPT. I could probably put a little bit of a PR uh, thing together, a bit of text that I w I wanted to get over a few client facts. But the moment I met the client and I had to speak to them or I had to sell it to them surely the disconnect between my ability to write and my ability to present would be really clear. I think so. I agree. So 
in a sense, that idea of the adoption of AI as a tool to help in those really basic things, absolutely. But I'm not going to build a house with a screwdriver. And, you know, in a sense, ChatGPT is the screwdriver. Right. And it makes me wonder about this idea still um, about AI, because I'm going to remain optimistically realistic, is that we're talking here, and, and, and no kind of a shade on you, but you're talking here to photographers who are, you know, at the top of their game, who really understand the medium, who love the medium, and you're sort of saying to them, yeah, have you ever considered doing something different? Right. They're not necessarily going to be very positive about that. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. But I also assume that people listening to us yammer on right now are doing so because they want to pursue this thing they love. Yeah. And don't don't want to consider something different. Here's the thing. There's so much pressure on photographers now to go on this social media platform, do this, do this, do that, do that. And there's so many snake oil salesmen out there telling them, um, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. I saw recently, um, I was being, I get promoted to, I'm sure you do as well. I'm constantly getting algorithm things coming at me. Um, oh, you're interested in photography. So do this workshop, do that thing, pay for this, pay for that. Um, and when you're bombarded with that stuff, it's really, especially when times are tough, it's really easy to kind of get manipulated. But, you know, my thing still is AI is important. You need to know about it, but you don't need to panic about it. So there's one more point that that Amy brought up um, before we maybe talk uh, to the last photographer who I spoke with um, about rights claims. And if your photo or photos were used in a I don't know what the word is um, missing right now, sort of a a scooped up AI um, composite picture. Yeah. Do you have a claim or if that photo, if the resulting photo, for whatever reason, looks a lot like one of your pictures, but not quite, do you have a claim? Well, I think what's interesting about that is I certainly can't answer that question. However, um, there are companies out there who, you know, you can pay, you know, from the first moment that photographers started to put their work up online, it started to get stolen. Yes. And therefore, you know, there are these companies out there who you can give details and so forth, or they'll do a a web search and and they'll find your images for you. And then they will take a claim and they they take a cut of the work they've done for you. Perhaps what we're talking about here is those companies are going to have to start to think about that also. But my understanding, which is incredibly limited, is that so many images are, are kind of scraped to to make the final image that it would be very difficult to say okay that was my photograph so so that you you are probably right um and scraped is the word i was looking for um i i may be making this up um artificially but i seem to recall that um a getty or some some stockhouse was considering litigation because their library was being scraped and so it wasn't just, you know, a couple images you you took of Alicia Silverstone, you know, that that fed into this other uh, created image. But but, you know, Getty or whoever it was, millions of images were being used to populate 
the AI database. Well, if I was Getty, I'd be really worried because, you know, <laughs> as, you know, as I've said recently, um, the, the, you know, stocks in trouble. And, you know, if people don't need to go to Getty to get images because they can make their own, it's going to hit Getty hard. So, you know, and Getty sports and uh, news and so forth, you know, that's probably still going to continue. But the Getty uh, generic, Again, right. stock image, the generic image is dead, as far as I, I can see. I remember ooh, 23 years ago working uh, at Getty and in stock when they were first starting. And I was always told that the kind of the golden, uh, what's the word, in, in search of that kind of, um, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, but that, that kind of golden thing you wanted to get to was could you come up with two hands shaking each other, you know, shaking hands? in a new way because if you could then you know you would make a fortune out of that because right. that's the image that everybody wants and of course now with ai anybody can come up with a new way of doing it well you, except except really, for hands which ai can't quite do yet but yeah <laughs> well yeah they would look like donald trump's hands <laughs> right so, it would look like he was shaking well actually I, I don't even want that vision in my head no thank you but you know what i'm saying i i yes. so yeah, it's really going to be in Getty's uh, to Getty's benefit that they uh, create the uh, the correct technology to do this kind of search to find yeah. out. But at the same time, they've been selling images at a dollar a go. Right. So I think they would end up in a kind of tricky place um, trying to get kind of big damages out of somebody. Agreed. Let, let me um, um, let me tell you about the conversation I had with um, and I'm going to hopefully pronounce his name um, correctly. Adiolu Osibodu. He is a uh, 25 year old Nigerian photographer now living in London, who, to, to my eye, is making some of the most beautiful resident work I've seen recently. He uses strong post-production techniques in some of his work to highlight the emotional qualities that he's trying to get. And when I asked him about this, he told me this quote, I feel my post-production is very important. I have nothing against documentary photography, but I feel if the end goal is to transport the mind from one place to another, why not wing it all the way? And so that's why I asked him to weigh in on AI, because I felt like maybe he was already sort of going down that road where where sort of the, the result is more important than the process. Now, I'm aware well, of his work, and that's very interesting because I wasn't aware that you'd, you'd spoken to him. But he's quite young, isn't he? He's 25. Yeah. I think which, is, that, which, which is another reason why I wanted to talk to him. So he wasn't, you know, someone as old as you or I. <laughs> no one's as old as me. But, <laughs> but I think that's the key. He's 25 years of age. He sees this as being his world. Whereas when we're talking to older photographers our age and perhaps, I don't know, 35 30 upwards, you know, it's moving so quickly, let's say 30 upwards, you know, it's still this idea of what photography is and it's all going to be a disaster well, and da, da, da. Well, you know, what he was talking to me about was post-production, not, not AI. Um, but I, but I sort of took that. So let, let me tell you what he said. Um, 
when I asked him what excites him about AI, he said the use of AI is immensely tricky, especially now that the outcomes are incredibly realistic, like up to a scary point of precision. I still believe strongly in the art of craft and the moments of handiwork that lead up to creating art, either painting, images, etc. Still, we can't ignore how ridiculously quick it is in pr- to produce a large number of aesthetic pieces in no time. I think this could be useful in the area of drafting out mood boards or pre-planning concepts for actual production to check what works and what doesn't before going out onto the set. I believe the use of AI by brands, companies, or creatives will now solely depend on their creative integrity and will show how much connection they have with the process of creating, or if they're solely out for the final output and trying to save the costs of hiring artists. Bill, we've started to agree with each other in this conversation. (laughs) And I, I do feel I've either worn you out, beaten you down, or persuaded you and, and brought you into the middle and off of your, your lawn with those pesky kids and recognised that the children are perfectly okay. They're just a little bit louder than maybe you want them to be. But I think that the reality is what he's saying there is exactly what I'm saying, which is some clients, yes, will go down the cheaper option and therefore there will be less work for photographers and there will be less photographers out there. But somebody like him is saying, yeah, I can see this. I I use a huge amount of post-production. Now let's jump forward maybe to a, a hardcore, learnt with analog photographer in their, let's say in their mid-60s, who would absolutely balk at that idea of massive amounts of manipulation. But the 25-year-old sees no problem with it because it's what he grew up with. And I think that's why I'm not concerned and why I see all of this as an evolution. Because as one generation comes in after the next generation to the medium, they look at where it is from a technological uh, perspective. They look at it from a functionality perspective, and they're happy to go with that and manipulate and work with what they have at the time. Grant, I'm so glad that I've convinced you that <laughs> photography has is going to be changing completely and that the no, appreciation no. and that the appreciation of of the true image is essentially over Bill, to go to Bill, go to kids have come back to go to the metaphor of the lawn what i see happening is i'm screaming at the kids to get off my lawn and they're screaming back there is no lawn this is water no they're not they're saying granddad no, no, no. don't understand there's a new lawn no, no, no. That, that, that I, Maybe I haven't communicated it properly because what they can say is there's no lawn here. It's something else because it's total fiction. And so while I don't disagree with you that not all jobs will go away and that perhaps some aspects of photography uh, can be seeded to AI without destroying the whole uh, practice of it. What I'm saying is in terms of us viewers, people who look at photography, the fact that we will now no longer know if a classic image, you know, let's just say uh, Cartier-Bresson's decisive moment to use a cliche image that everybody knows, if they can't look at that and say that really happened again, and we're going back to the beginning of the conversation, I feel that that 
destroys photography from the inside, destroys the way that we appreciate the image because we don't we won't appreciate it as much if we believe it not to be real. Okay, so you you haven't brought me on board, Bill. Yes, I have. <laughs> However much you wish to, but it's very clear I haven't brought you on board either. We're both, we're both on two different uh, lifeboats heading in different directions. <laughs> but I, what I do think about this is that the idea of the evolution of the medium of photography to me is key. The 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 kind of bit, if you like, the iceberg, which is causing the problem is truth that seems to be the the key problem there and it reminds me and it takes me back to and stay with me on this one back to victorian photography and going back to the idea of the pictorialists not liking the modernists and the pictorialists saying well the modernists are that's not photography and the modernists saying yes it is photography what you're trying to do is recreate painting so there was that that tension at that point. And as we've progressed through and with photography, we can say, well, yeah, that was shot on a small Leica and therefore it wasn't on a plate camera. So it wasn't. So that's not a photograph. So the history of photography has all of these kind of pinch points at which somebody is saying, yes, it's changed and therefore it is no longer a photograph. This, in a sense, everything that we're going through at the moment isn't new. The the issue is around truth, and, and I'm completely in agreement with you on that. But I think that is only dangerously relevant to a certain kind of photography. And it does remind me of jazz, because if we look at jazz, something I know nothing about, but when it first started out, it had banjos and it was Dixieland jazz. Then suddenly uh, it progressed uh, to modern jazz and the, the banjos and stuff weren't in there anymore. And so suddenly it was a different kind of jazz and the old jazzers didn't like the new jazz. And they said that wasn't jazz. And, and, and throughout the history of jazz, maybe folk music is the same. There is that, that kind of feeling that the new is never what it should have been. And my fear. Uh, I, 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 I inter- uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, interrupt. I was on a soapbox. Please interrupt. Um, I, I, I think I think that argument is sorry, Grant. It's too easy. I mean, when I look at my bookshelf, which I'm looking at it now and I'm looking at not my photo books, but my literature, um, there are some books that are labeled fiction and there are some or novels and there are some books that are labeled memoir or or whatever. And I think if we start labeling our photographs fiction and nonfiction, um, I think we're fine. Um, but I, I don't really see this as an evolution. I see this as um as, as a as a new, you know, just like I don't think of photography as being an evolution of painting. I see them, I see there as being a a very sharp break, even though the images could be of the same uh scene. And so I just feel that considering it an an evolution is a mistake. I do hope we both live long enough to see which one of us is right or wrong. At the speed at which things are going at the moment, 
Um, there's nope, prob- we'll know by next Tuesday. We'll know by <laughs> exactly. We'll know before the, the next podcast. Yeah, whether or not we're right or wrong. Because really, at the end of the day, all, all this is, I suppose. Oh, yeah, from my perspective, I'm, I'm kind of talking here and trying to work it out myself as we're going along. And I suppose we're go- we're coming from different perspectives, but maybe we're coming to the same conclusion, which is that you need to know about or be aware of or engage with the conversation around AI. Are we in agreement on that? A hundred percent. And I hope that this chat will spark any of our listeners to join the conversation with their own community or hopefully with us. Um, by way of uh, emails or, or or posts or questions, um, so that we can continue this uh, in the future with with other perspectives. No, absolutely, and I'm sure I've upset a huge amount of people. Maybe you have as well. I don't know, but I do. But it is so important. I I feel first of all to be fluid in your thinking and not to you know. Although I'm saying what I'm saying, you know. I'll listen. I've listened to what you've said. It's made me think, am I right? Am I wrong? Is there right? Is there wrong? Probably not. Um, But we need to be fluid in our understanding of how this progresses. You might change your opinions um, and I might change mine. And if we do, that's really healthy. Absolutely. And and I truly appreciate the opportunities to have this kind of conversation. passionate conversation with all kinds of respect for the person that I'm, I'm, I'm arguing and, and, and tangling with here and untangling with, um, which I find frankly, so rare today, again, witness my Twitter feed. And, um, and so, so thanks so much for the opportunity to, to exchange views here. Yeah, it's, it's really important, Bill. And it's funny, I I was at a funeral recently and it was, it was like the funeral was unlike any funeral I've been to. Uh, It was a funeral for someone who's pretty much unlike anyone I'd ever met, a a journalist, somebody who has contributed to United Nations of Photography. And at the funeral, um, his uh, grown up children got up as did three of his friends. And they all said at a funeral, He was really difficult and he really liked an argument, this guy, although he was kind of there in in a coffin. Um, And, you know, and they really sort of said, you know, but it was so great to have that conversation. It was so brilliant with him. And although, you know, he was a nightmare about it because he always would look for that, that debate and discussion, the the kids were there saying, but how healthy that was and how much they they're going to miss that sense, because I don't see it as an argument. I see it as an exchange of opinions. And I think that we've lost a lot of that. And I think that's what's so great about the conversation with you, Bill, is that every month, when I think why it's so popular, is that we're having a conversation which actually isn't being had in this way um, in many places at the minute. Yeah, I um uh, I love it actually, especially about um the topic that I care so much about. So so thank you for this. Well, wonderful. Who knows where the conversation will go next? Um, but thanks as always, Bill. Um, it's been a pleasure. I think yeah. really, I mean, I know you're in New Mexico, I'm in the UK. We really should have been in a, a late night bar 
um, <laughs> knocking back drinks and and really saying and another thing. <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking forward to that day. Hopefully soon. <laughs> okay, my friend. Take care. Bye. After all that conversation, it just leaves me to say, take care.